Welcome to the Homeschool Reading Podcast. Today's episode is a Q&A session that was recorded live inside my Facebook group. If you have a question that you would like to hear me answer on the podcast, please send me an email at sarah at homeschoolingforhim.com. Enjoy the episode. I've got a question for you. How do homeschool moms like us, who don't have a master's degree in reading and 25 years of teaching experience, teach our kids how to read in a way that helps them become confident readers who love to read under the covers with a flashlight? Here you'll find simple tricks and practical tools for making reading easy and fun. My name is Sarah Miller, and welcome to the Homeschool Reading Podcast. Hey there, homeschool reading community. Happy Friday and welcome to our bonus Facebook live session today with Emily Hamlin from Enlightening Motherhood. I am so excited that you're here joining us and I'm excited to talk all about emotional regulation for kids. This is a topic I was just telling Emily that hits really near and dear to my heart because we're working on it personally with my kids. We were working on it this morning. So, and I know a lot of us in this group can relate. So I'm really excited to be here talking about this today. If you are watching live with us on Facebook and you can see and hear us, please say hey in the comments and let us know that everything's working. (laughs) And if you are watching on the replay, please say hey in the comments as well. Type replay and let us know that you are here watching. And if you have questions for Emily today, please type those in the chat um, so we can make sure she answers them. Hey, Emily, thank you so much for being here with us today. Hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just Excited to be here. We connected through that recent bundle, the Winter Wonderland bundle that you hosted, which has been so incredible, all of the amazing resources. And I'm just really excited to be in this community you have. Ah, thank you. I'm excited to have you here. So I want to quickly introduce Emily. Um, She is a mom of four and a certified teacher, and she knows the importance of empowering children that are neurodivergent or emotionally intense to have greater emotional skills and the strength that comes to a family when their parents intentionally choose to make changes to promote greater emotional health in their home. So Emily, for the people that are watching here that don't already know you, can you tell us just a little bit more about yourself and about what you do? Yes. So thank you for that introduction. Um, As you said, I have four children of my own. They're still pretty young. My youngest is two. My oldest is 12. And I didn't know for many years that several of my children were neurodivergent. I didn't know that I had ADHD myself. All that I knew was that even with my background as a teacher, and even with all of the like years of babysitting and tutoring and volunteering in preschools that I did up until my point of being a parent, it it was still so much harder than I thought. And the thing that was the hardest with me to handle was all of the meltdowns, all of the defiance, all of the screaming and the fighting. I just knew that like emotions were way out of whack in our family. And then the hard part was that it was bringing up my own big emotions too. So I'm showing up as the mom that I never wanted to show up as with screaming and yelling and stressed and overwhelmed and and just frustrated and resentful and bitter. And that's never, that was never in my plan for parenting. And I know much of parenting is stuff that we never planned for, but it was just this feeling in the home I didn't like. So I began my own deep dive into, you know, it's either sink or swim at that point. And so it took me years to figure out a lot of strategies that worked that weren't one size fits all, how to tailor them to our family, how to really 
help myself learn to regulate my own emotions so that I could then better help my children learn to regulate theirs. And, you know, it's been such a long and hard journey that now my goal is to make it easier for other people. Not to say that there won't be hard times, but to make it easier and also to not feel so alone because sometimes it seems like our kid is the only kid that will scream for 45 minutes because we asked them to clear their plate from the table. But there are other people. It's just, we don't always talk about that publicly. So it's my other goal is that people don't feel so alone because it can feel so lonely when you're raising kids with big emotions. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. I can so relate to that as a homeschool parent. It sometimes feels like I'm over here alone on an island raising my kids and educating my kids. And I feel like I'm the only one that's going through some of these struggles. So I love the way that you're bringing attention to these things and just normalizing that it's okay for us to talk about these things and um, to, you know, to talk about what's happening. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, so can we talk about emotional intelligence? Because I know that that's what, what you're working on, what, what the focus is of a lot of your resources. So what is emotional intelligence, first of all? Mm, that is such a good question. So in a nutshell, emotional intelligence is understanding our own emotions, right? Like being able to identify what we're feeling. Oh, I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling frustration. I'm feeling bitterness. And to recognize what does that feel like in my body? How does that affect my behavior? And how does it influence others? How do their emotions influence me? So we don't take control or we don't take responsibility for others' behaviors and we don't let them take responsibility for our behaviors, but we do see that there's this influence. So it has an idea of social skills, empathy, emotional regulation. There's five different areas depending on who you ask, but that's the idea in a nutshell. That's great. And is that something that we just need to be focused on if we have like a neurodivergent child or like, how is this beneficial for kids? Mm, that's a great question. So this is beneficial for every human being, <laughs> um, right? If a lot of times we think, oh, but my child's neurodivergent, so I shouldn't be working on emotional intelligence, or we think my child isn't neurodivergent, so I, I don't need to worry about it. It's for both kids. It might require a different approach. Like two of my children have autism. And so they do require a different approach for some things. I need to be a lot more explicit and clear with them. Um, they might not pick things up as naturally as maybe my neurotypical child might. But um, yeah, this is definitely for all kids. It will benefit every single child because every single child will have emotions and learning how to handle those emotions is a life skill that really is a gift to them. That makes so much sense. And I love that reminder that we as parents have those emotions and need to be working through that as well. <coughs> Sorry, I'm getting over cold too. <laughs> so yeah, it, it it's, it's good because I think that sometimes I, I feel like I need to put all these things on my kids, but then I forget to, to turn it back and, and to turn the spotlight back on myself as well. I love that. Um, so why is this important? Like, why is this, why should this be important to all of us? And why is it important to you? Mm, so I think I might do a whole podcast episode on, on this thing I have. I just last night, one of my friends got really, received really, really bad news about a family member. And so this friend turned to alcohol and became very, very drunk to a dangerous point because that bad news was so hard to handle. 
she she couldn't handle that really intense all the emotions and feelings that it brought up and so she turned to extremely unhealthy and dangerous ways to deal with it right and we see that a lot we, we call this numbing we see um <clears throat> i don't want to handle my sadness i don't want to handle my anxiety i don't want to my, handle my anger and frustration and so we see a lot of teenagers and adults especially turning to really unhealthy ways of um you know, alcohol, drugs, pornography, online shopping, um, social media, which is used to be my coping mechanism anyways. Um, lots of different ways, um, even like eating to avoid an emotion, which I love food. I'm not saying we shouldn't eat and we shouldn't shop. It's just when we're using that to escape an emotion that it becomes really unhealthy. And I, I feel like that is very prevalent in our generation and even our parents' generation, it was very common to take out an intense emotion on someone else. Like, I can handle this hard time in the moment, but then I'm going to go and take it out on my children. I'm going to go and take it out on, we would see husbands taking it out on their wives in generations past where they beat their wives because they had a bad day at work, right? And so we see this a lot of just not being able to handle the hard thing. And so I think this is, you know, we get we get so focused on the moment with our kids, like, I need them to learn to regulate their emotions so that they can sit on a couch and read a book without punching each other. Yes, yes, I absolutely agree. And I also see it as a life skill that we're teaching because we want them to be able to become teenagers and adults that can handle sadness, frustration, loneliness, boredom, all of these really hard emotions, but they know how to handle them and they don't have to turn to really unhealthy ways to handle them. I love that. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit yesterday, too, just about seeing the big picture and really stepping back from the process, because I, I think we get so in the weeds sometimes with my kid has to learn math and my kid has to learn reading and my kid has to do this, you know, this whatever project we're doing. But really, we're raising adults, we're raising humans. And so that bigger picture of how to raise a human that understands how to handle their emotions in healthy ways, I think that's so important. And I love that, that, um, that we have, you know, skills that we can use to, to teach our kids this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what, you, you talked about emotional regulation a little bit, can you, can you define that for us? And like, what does that look like for kids? That is such a good question. That's another buzzword right now, right? Emotional intelligence, emotional regulation. Um, so emotional regulation, if we wanted to get really, really, really technical, we would start to talk about the nervous system and about the nervous system feeling regulated and dysregulated. But when we talk about emotional regulation, what we usually mean it doesn't mean that our nervous system never reaches that dysregulated state. It means we're able to handle it when it happens and we can recover from it quickly. Or maybe not even quickly, but we're able to recover from it in a healthy way without doing things or saying things that we regret. So in other words, it doesn't mean that we or our child will never get stressed, overwhelmed, angry, frustrated. It means that when those emotions do come, that we're able to handle them. We don't do or say things that we later regret, that we're able to stay in control of ourselves and that we're able to overcome it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we're looking for um, just ways to be able to help our kids do that, right? I guess one of the things that I'm wondering though is it seems like it's a lot harder for some people than others and especially for kids and kids at certain ages to be able to do mm -hmm. this. Why is that? <clears throat> 
Oh, that's a great question again. So it goes into the brain. Um, I might not have, my husband made me the cutest little model of the brain, but my kids keep taking it from me. Um, <laughs> I think it's in one of their rooms right now. I should have checked. Anyways, I love that's this little right there. <laughs> hand. Yeah. I love this little hand brain. I got this from Tina Payne Bryson and Dan Siegel in their book, The Whole Brain Child, which I recommend to every person that ever works with a child. Have you read, you've seen Nodding over there. It's such a good book. Anyways, um, this is a little hand signal that they give for a model of the brain. And they break it down into really simple terms that I love. They talk about an upstairs brain, which is mostly our prefrontal cortex. It's located right here. And our downstairs brain, which they use in the hand signal as being our thumb here. For us, it's located back here. It's mostly our amygdala, but there's also some other parts in there. I'm not a neuroscientist, but um, so this is our brain. And our upstairs brain is where we have um, logical thinking. It's where we have risk management. It's where we have emotional regulation and the ability to really consider what we're doing and control our actions. Our amygdala is our downstairs brain or our survival brain. And that's where we are want to stay alive. That's also where our emotions are housed. So our emotions are in this downstairs survival brain. Our ability to regulate them is in this upstairs or logical brain. So um, why this is tricky, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, as children, they're born with a completely in like completely developed amygdala. Their emotions, all of them, full range, ready to go at birth. But that upstairs brain or that prefrontal cortex doesn't finish developing until around the mid-20s. And if a child is neurodivergent, it doesn't finish developing. And um, well, you know, it's it's an average age, of course but they're usually a few years behind. So if a child is eight and they're acting like a five-year-old when it comes to handling their emotions, chances are it's because their prefrontal cortex is just a little bit behind and it's actually at a five-year-old level. And I know this was hard because my oldest is twice gifted. So he's extremely, or twice exceptional. So he's extremely gifted in terms of academic abilities but he's also neurodivergent. And so I remember when he was six and he would be melting down like a three-year-old and I would just be pulling my hair out like, why are you acting like a three-year-old? You're so smart. You should be able to understand that brushing your teeth before bed is what we do every night and you should not be screaming at me over this. And then I learned, well, it's because even if he can read at a, whatever he was reading at, like a fifth grade level when he's six years old, it doesn't mean that everywhere is a fifth grade level. And his emotions were really around a three to four year old level at that point in his life. So he did need a different approach and he needed a lot more understanding from me in order to get him there. Did that answer your question? Yeah, that was awesome. So I definitely wanna unpack that more, but you made me think of something else that I wanted to ask. So what do you do as a mom when you're in that point where your kids just can't even and you also just can't even? Because I know a lot of us are, are have been there and are thinking about that. You know, our, our kids need that help and support from us, but they've also caused us to not be regulated and now we're struggling too. What yeah, do we do? Do you, do you have an example you want me to, to delve into or do you want me to use that <laughs> example? Hypothetically. <laughs> okay, you got two questions. my house all the time. Yeah, it totally does. Just the more specific we can get because it's, it's going to be different depending on the underlying causes. 
Mm -hmm. um, which I guess I'll talk about underlying causes really quick because it'll just make so much more sense. When we talk about behaviors often, um, and this was this what messed this is what messed me up as a teacher when I took my teaching skills into parenting and the disconnect that there was. As a teacher, I was so worried about managing behavior in the classroom. And I became a parent and was trying to manage my kids' behavior. But that's kind of like, say we have weeds in the yard and we are trying to pull them out. If we're just pulling the leaves off of the weed, the weed's gonna keep coming back, right? We can even sometimes cut that stem, but until we get to the root, which we can't even see, until we can get to that root, it's gonna keep coming back. It might look different. The leaves might come in different forms and different sizes, but they're gonna keep coming back. And it's the same if my kid is melting down over brushing their teeth at bedtime. I can do all that I want to try to change that behavior, but until I understand why the meltdown is there in the first place, it's just going to, maybe he'll stop melting down about brushing his teeth, but it's going to turn into melting down over here, or it's going to turn into disrespect, or it's going to turn into defiance, or it's going to turn into picking on siblings until I can understand the underlying reasons for that. And it's the same with us when we're feeling really triggered, when we're feeling like we're out of control. If we're just like, I'm not going to yell, I'm not going to, and then we're yelling. If we don't understand why we're yelling in the first place, and we don't understand what those root causes are, it's going to be really, really hard to just change that behavior until we can really dig deep into the triggers and we can dig deep into understanding ourselves and, and then finding new tools to replace that yelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And that probably brings some compassion too when we can see our kids rather than just that they're throwing a temper tantrum right now that we can see sort of the root cause of it and appreciate why they're why those emotions are there. That would bring some compassion too, I would think. So let's say we've got the kid who is throwing the temper tantrum over brushing teeth. Um, what like what can we do? to help them in the moment? Maybe we know the deeper reason for what is happening, but how can we help them to start to see that? Mm -hmm. In the moment of melting down? Or yeah, or maybe in the moment and then also how can we fix it? Both. Okay, so in the moment, we, we don't wanna try to help them. When they're melting down, we're gonna go back to this brain model. I know <laughs> me of 10 years ago would be like, what, what do you mean we're not gonna help them in the moment? So if you're there, stick with me, stick with me, right? Going back to this brain model, when they're melting down, they have flipped their lid. Their brain has entered survival mode. It's starting to conserve energy because it perceives a threat. I know asking our kid to brush their teeth before bed, it, that they're safe, it's not really a threat. That doesn't matter. It's that their brain has perceived a threat. That's what a meltdown is. It's perceived a threat. It's starting to conserve energy. It's cut off the energy to that prefrontal cortex. So they flip their lid, it's like a baby gate went up. They can't get upstairs. They don't have logical thinking. They don't have rational reasoning. They don't even have risk management, which is sometimes when kids get really angry, they start to like do things and adults too, right? That later we regret. And they're just being driven by that downstairs brain. So during that meltdown, if we're trying to use logic, it's not going to work. If we're trying to teach a lesson, it's not going to stick. The only thing that we, we want to do during that meltdown is to try to help them understand that they are safe, right? And there's different ways and different tactics, and it depends on the child as to what that will look like. Like none of it's really an all size fits all, but we really just want to communicate safety. Then later, when they're calm, we can talk to them about it. If they tend to melt down every night when it's time to brush their teeth, or even a few nights a week, then we want to start looking for patterns. Okay, he tends to melt down 
after a really busy day or after a really slow day or does he tend to melt down after um on the nights that we don't have an evening walk or on the nights that we do have an evening walk or you know we just look for those patterns as to when the meltdown's happening and then we can kind of proactively get ahead of it with our kid and we don't have to do this in a way that's shaming them like i notice that you tend to throw tantrums every night like our kids are going to shut off they're not going to want to talk to us so if we can approach it as like hmm I've noticed that it's really tricky to brush our teeth sometimes at night. It just seems to be really hard sometimes. And, and I get it. Like sometimes, sometimes things are really hard for me too. And I just want to understand why is this hard for you? Can, can you let me know? And then we don't judge. Like if they, whatever they tell us, we don't try to, yeah, but, or, well, let me give you my opinion. Or, you know what, you're wrong. We don't even have to agree with them. They might even say things that we think are completely wrong and we don't have to agree. We can just listen, right? Oh, I see your point. Mm, you make such a good point there. Yeah, well, I, I might not even agree with you, but I can totally understand where you're coming from. We just let them tell us. And then with them, we can maybe come up with, um, once we understand, like that's the biggest thing. We might be able to come up with a plan with them that works. We might be able to, go and, um, you know, research a little bit. Okay, how do I help my child? For my kid, it was cognitive overwhelm plus um, some cognitive flexibility that he's lower in plus overstimulation. Those were the three big things that were leading to his meltdown for brushing his teeth at night, which sounds weird. But when I went and unpacked all of the surrounding events on the nights that the meltdowns happened, I realized every single time he had those three things, he would melt down when it came time to brush his teeth. So we got ahead of it. There's also another analogy of um, that I like to use, which is kind of like um, when we're training. Uh, I just ran a Spartan race. If you know what a Spartan race is, they're like, they're crazy. <laughs> it's like crawling in the mud under barbed wire and like climbing over eight feet walls while you're muddy and wet. And I, I still can't believe I did that, but it was it was so much fun training for it. And there's kind of two different ways to train for it, right? I can think, okay, I um, it's really hard for me to do the monkey bars. So I need to work on doing monkey bars. But I also needed to just train my body in general. Like I needed to get used to running longer distances to carrying heavier weights because you have to carry like a 40 pound sandbag up and down stadium stairs. Like, so I could train my, you know, train our kid. I'm going to put that in quotes because our kids aren't dogs that we train, but we can help our kids with okay, that, um, that time of brushing your teeth is really hard. So I can help them with just that. I can also help them with emotional intelligence in general, right? So this is kind of like, we can have a gym membership and um, we can just in general work on helping our bodies be physically fit. We can help our kids in general with emotional intelligence, becoming aware of their emotions. How are they feeling in their bodies? What are other people thinking? Naming your emotions is huge. Um, becoming friends with them, not hating that anger, but learning to handle the anger. What happens when that anger comes up? What are some plans for it? And those are all best done way out of that moment, not even surrounding the toothbrushing. And slowly, it'll start to trickle in. It's not going to be an overnight thing. Like you said, we're zooming out. This is a lifelong skill we're working on. So just incorporating that. And for us, we incorporate it in like 
five to 10 minutes a week, just lots of little chunks throughout the week. Um, there's also this idea, like my Spartan race analogy. At one point I got to a point where I was still training and I needed a personal trainer, right? Like, which for me, thankfully I had a friend that did it for free for me, <laughs> but um, I needed someone that got it, that had done a Spartan race, had done this Spartan race, knew exactly the obstacles I would be going through and understood where I was at. And she was watching me train and noticing. And she was like, Emily, you need to work on your grip strength. I was like, what do you mean my grip strength? She's like, your ability to like hold on and hang on. She's like, you're not lasting more than 10 to 15 seconds. And there's so many obstacles where you need to hang on for like three to four minutes. I was like, oh my goodness. I, I couldn't see that myself. So anyways, these are all different different routes to helping our kids. Can you see that analogy or did I go a little too, too far off? Yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. I have, I have so many notes over here now. <laughs> and I know that the parents that are watching this either are live or on the replay do too. So, so this is, this is good. Um, okay. So I wanted to talk about, you said that we, we need to do the, like, the focus on whatever it is that's a struggle, but then also sort of the more general, like helping our kids become more aware about these things. So um, for those more general activities, can we make it super practical? Like, do you have some activities that you enjoy doing or that you would recommend that parents do? Maybe maybe we haven't done anything with emotional regulation with our kids yet, and we're just kind of introducing this idea of emotional intelligence. Um, what are like some really practical things that we could go and do today? Maybe like something for a younger kid and something for an older kid? Yeah, this is a great question too. So one of my memberships is Emotionally Intelligent Kids. And in there, I'll just tell you what's in there. So if people don't end up joining, they can go and do it on their own at home. But it's really similar to your reading membership, where you provide a lot of activities for reading. Um, and similar to that, where um, I like to have a variety of, of activities for kids, telling them stories. So um, it might be a little, depending on the kid, if your child is like deeply feeling or depending on their level of um, sensitivity to correction, children with ADHD or autism or OCD might be a little bit more sensitive to being corrected. Um, they feel more threatened. So I couldn't come up with a story on like, once upon a time, there was a boy that was eight years old that would melt down every night when brushing his teeth. Like, that would be a little too direct, but I could come up with a similar story or tell them a story about me when I was a kid you know, when I was a kid, it was hard for me to brush my teeth sometimes because of this. And in this story, the character has a struggle. You can talk with your child. What do you think this character could do? Um, brainstorm with them, or you can come up with a solution on your own and then discuss it with them. What do you think about that solution? So storytelling is really a big deal. Anytime we can make it fun, our children learn like significantly more and we enjoy it more too so we want to keep doing it right but not just an enjoyment thing like the learning the science behind it is incredible there is more learning when things are fun so um if we can make it fun if we can we can make a game like um what for november and emotionally intelligent kids the game that we played was this beanbag game i put a beanbag on my head and you put one on your head but when the beanbag falls off i can't get my own beanbag I can only get someone else's beanbag and I need someone else to get my beanbag. And then we have to put them in. It's so much fun. Kids end up giggling and they want to keep going and going. 
And we can let them know, oh, by the way, you were thinking about what I was needing and I was thinking about what you were needing. Do you know what it's called when we think about somebody else's feelings? That's called empathy, right? And so games are great. Worksheets are good if your kid is into worksheets. I personally like to read the worksheets to give myself ideas for activities that we do that are more hands-on, especially for my kids because they're just so full of energy that sitting them down for another worksheet doesn't always work. But a lot of kids really like to sit down, process at their own time, do the worksheets while they're waiting in line somewhere or while they're going for a drive, et cetera. So those are, those are some of the ideas for how we can do that. That's awesome. I love that. I, my head is definitely spinning with different ideas of what I could go do now. So that's great. And of course, um, modeling it. Sorry. One, oh, I was just going to say. Go ahead. thing is to model it ourselves. Like to, when we're mm -hmm. feeling angry, let them know like feeling really angry right now. And then they see how we handle that anger. They see we're not throwing things. They see we're not punching walls. They see we're not taking it out on someone else. We're not blaming someone else for our anger. You made me so angry because you refused to put your shoes in the shoebox. It's, I'm feeling really angry right now. I need to learn to handle times when you don't do what I've asked. I need to learn to handle that. I don't want to show up angry. I'm going to sit here with my anger for a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Candy said, this is so helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You're welcome, this is, Candy. This is great. Um, can we, uh, let's jump to a question that we had in the event. Um, and if you have questions for Emily, go ahead and drop those in the chat as well. And if you're watching the replay, please feel free to drop questions for Emily in the chat as well. And I will make sure that she gets those. So um, this question was from, uh, from the event. Wait a minute. I lost my question list. Ah, I don't know. I lost my list. Okay. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about uh, what do we do when we, when we can't figure out what it is that's setting our kids off? Um, like we're, we're going through it. We know that, you know, maybe the meltdown is happening a certain time of day or um, but, but maybe it's not consistent. Like what do we do when it's less consistent or when we're struggling to figure out what is causing the meltdown? Are there things that we can do as a parent to, to help us figure that out? Yes. So are you okay if I share a free resource that would help everyone with this? Yes, please do. I've been trying to put links in the chat and Facebook has not been cooperating with me. It says uh, posting. So at, there will be links in the chat. There just aren't right now. Facebook's been, Facebook has not liked my, I switched domain platforms and it's been not liking the new domain platform that I switched Ooh, to. So okay. I've got a trick then. But yes, we love a resource. Okay. Um, let's see. I put it in our private chat. I'm not sure how to get it to the. Why don't you just tell us about it and I will okay. get it for. Okay. So it's a uh, why is my child melting down cheat sheet and mini training. So I've, this was me for years. Like I just, okay. I understand my kids melting down because there's some sort of perceived threat, but what is it and why in the world are they melting down? So I took all of the reasons that I could think of. It's not an exhaustive list, but there's about 30 to 40 reasons. And I put them into six different categories and I break it all down in that training. And then there's a little cheat sheet. So it's helped a lot of people that I've worked with to just be able to have that visual and go, okay, which of these six areas are likely the contributing factor right now? And then there's a lot of um, 
things that maybe we never considered, like prediction error. My child was expecting one thing and another thing happened. Or sensory has been huge. Oh, my child was overstimulated with their auditory sense. There was too much auditory input and their brain kind of went overwhelmed. Like there's, there's obviously, those are just a few examples. So, um, but you can get that. It's just, I'll just say it and people can look it up. It's easy. Enlighteningmotherhood.com forward slash freebies. So if they want to go grab that, um, when you can't figure it out, I would encourage you to keep a mindset of, I can't figure it out yet, right? I can't figure it out yet. And that will help you instead of this like doors closed, fixed mindset, it opens it to a growth mindset. Like, okay, I can't figure it out yet. It allows me to continue to be curious about it. Be curious, not furious. That's a common phrase that we use in the parent community. Um, and you might sometimes want to just find someone that gets it. Like if anyone wants to message me, I can help them. I'm not the only one though. Like find someone that gets it. And you might need someone to bounce ideas off of to like talk with it with you and to help you really dig and understand that trigger. So I make it sound so easy, but um, there's ways to make it easier. I've tried to create those resources to help it be easier, but really um, it won't be an overnight thing. So if you don't understand it yet, work on regulating your own emotions. How can I stay calm even though my kid is melting down, even though I don't understand why they're melting down? How can I show up the way that I want to, independent of their behavior, independent of their emotions? How can I show up calm? How can I show up confident? How can I show up compassionate? And so work on that. And then, yeah, the next piece will come later. But that's that's the biggest one, is just to be calm, to understand my child is doing their best right now. They really are. I don't know why they're melting down yet. I'm just going to be here for them until we figure it out. I know that whatever the reason is, they're really struggling. And they're not trying to do this. They're not trying to make me angry. They're not trying to push my buttons. This is This is just really hard for them right now. I love that. Yeah. I feel like as a parent, one of my jobs for my kids is to do everything that I can to set them up for success. And so I just love this discussion about helping our kids understand what's going on and helping them be able to process these situations and just really being the detective on the back end and trying to figure out what it is about that situation that's causing the challenge. And then how can we help our kids through it? I, yeah, that's amazing. And I really appreciate, thank you, Melissa, for asking that question. That was a really good, good question that I know that a lot of us were, were wondering about. So um, yeah, if you have a question for Emily, go ahead and put those in the chat. Um, I'm not seeing any right now, but go ahead and, and add yours. Or if you're watching the replay, feel, feel free to add questions as well. Um, and then I just wanted to kind of wrap up and ask, like, I know we've talked about a lot of things. What, what are we missing? Like, what else didn't we cover that people need to hear? Um, and then also, what is like the number one thing that we, that we should do? because uh, we want to keep this really practical. So so what should we be doing to help really help our kids? Mm, this is so good. The number one thing that we as parents can do to help our kids is to make sure that we're helping ourselves. And um, this is something that was really life-changing for me. In my parenting journey, I've been so focused on helping my kids with their challenges that I didn't pause to realize like 
Why am I so stressed? Why am I feeling so worn thin? Why am I so overwhelmed? And is it possible to continue to do what I'm doing in parenting and to feel differently? And it is, and it does take some work, but that is the biggest thing. And studies show like parents, for example, there's one specific study I'm thinking of, um, parents whose children had anxiety, um, they split them into two groups. And one of the groups went and got anxiety counseling for the children. And one got anxiety counseling for the parents. And the group that got anxiety counseling for the parents, not the children, the children's anxiety increased significantly. So working on ourselves directly benefits our children, like directly. I love that so much. I feel like we all need to hear that message because I know that the message that I hear frequently is, you know, less of yourself, more of your kids. Like, mm-hmm. don't worry about your to yourself. Just like, you know, give to your kids, give to your kids, give to your kids. And I think we forget that giving to ourselves is giving to our kids. And so the more that we invest in, in ourselves and our own, our own emotions and our own, you know, work through our own issues. And then also, you know, that benefits our kids too. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, selfish if if your brain's going but i need to be focused on my kids more than me like it's not Mm -hmm. selfish and when we think about it especially if our children one day might be parents and they're all going to be adults we're modeling for them right now and there's another huge thing that we didn't touch on that i feel is so important because every time i bring this up i feel like there's one parent somewhere that's going to say oh so it's all my fault and no i'm going to say no it's not all your fault And in fact, if you like me, like I used to yell so much and I never wanted to, it was just kind of happening, right? Um, I believe that you're doing your best, just like your kids doing their best when they're melting down. When we're melting down, we're doing our best. We just don't yet have the tools and strategies that we need to stay calm in that moment. We can get them, we can develop them, but I don't believe that it's your fault. And I do believe you're doing your best. I also really do know that if we can get a hold or, or get a grip on that guilt and that shame that we might feel and we can turn it into self-compassion, that our growth is going to be so much faster. And so not only does it feel better, we're going to be growing better, which again, directly benefits our children more. Oh, that's so good. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could talk about this for hours. This is so good. Um So I know we're kind of coming to the end of our time here together, but I know that the people that are watching this are going to want to hear more from you. Where can they go to do that? How can we connect with you more? Yeah. So I see you dropped the links in our chat there. Um, They can find me at enlighteningmotherhood.com. I'm also over on Instagram and here on Facebook at Enlightening Motherhood. So I would love to connect. My DMs are always open. They want to send me a message. I love hearing from people. That's awesome. Thank you so much for taking all this time to help us understand this topic today, Emily. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Uh, Thanks for watching, everybody. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode, which was recorded live in the Homeschool Reading Community Group. This is a free Facebook group where I share tips and advice about homeschooling and teaching reading. You'll also find community with other homeschool moms like you, plus freebies, giveaways, parties, and more. I would love for you to join us over at the Homeschool Reading Community. Make sure you check out the link in the show notes for all the details.
Thank you so much for listening to the Homeschool Reading Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. New episodes are coming out all the time, so please make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the fun. I'll see you soon.